Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. What is up, Peak City? How we doing? Good. Hey, you guys can grab a seat. Man, I am so excited to be here today. And in fact, <clears throat> I'm more excited to be with you than I've ever been excited to be at another church in all time, all, all, all history of my speaking career. I'll uh, share a short story that won't be actually that short. So yesterday we were supposed to fly out here. Trish and I were supposed to fly out here. And um, I was supposed to leave Indianapolis at 9, 8, 9 p.m., and land here around 9 p.m. And so not too, not too stressful, direct flight, remove all the barriers. Around noon yesterday, Eastern time, I get a text message that our flight had been delayed four hours. And so I go to Trish, and I'm like, hey, should, should we like reschedule the flight? What should we do? Like four hours? That's going to get us in there like at 1 a.m. And she said, do whatever you think is best which was not helpful. That just means it's going to be your fault no matter what happens, right? That's, that's what that means in, in, in marriage talk. And so uh, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I, I start like, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to see if I get another text message saying it's been undelayed, which I've never received a text message like that. I don't know if you have or not. Magically, the pilot showed up. No. Um, and so about two hours later, I get on the phone with Southwest and we move our flight from nine, well, it was going to be like around 11 p.m. Uh, or like, 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. Indianapolis time, we move it to 7.45 in Cincinnati, which is a two-hour drive. But it's a direct flight. I'm going to get here at 8 o'clock. I'm like, that's three hours earlier. It's unbelievable. We're going to have to drive for two hours. It's going to be amazing. As we're pulling into the airport in Cincinnati, get a text message. Your flight has been canceled. I'm like, oh my gosh. There's some marriage words going on right now, okay? So, so um, my son and daughter are with us, so thankfully it was PG. And, uh, and so, so we like flip around, we go back to, we're driving back to Indianapolis. I'm on the phone with Southwest. I'm online as I'm driving with kayak. I'm gonna rent a car and I'm gonna drive through the night if I have to, to get here. And so the lady in, 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 uh, on the phone says, hey, I think I can get you, not Trish, I can get you a seat on the last flight out of Indianapolis to Denver. Book it. Trish can come tomorrow. I don't care. And so they, they already had her mother's. They don't need her again. And so, so they book it. We get to the airport, and that flight has been delayed two hours. So we're supposed to leave at 7.40. Now it's leaving at, at 9.45, which is good because it's now 8 o'clock. And so the lady at the counter says, I think I can get you and Trish on a direct flight, the last flight that leaves here tonight. Change it. So we get on that flight. So does my bag. And so then that flight gets delayed again and again and again. And now there's a flight leaving to go to Austin, Texas. Are you following me? There's, it's leaving to go to Austin, Texas. And it's going to land in Austin and it's going to come directly here and we don't have to change planes. And our flight keeps getting delayed, delayed, delayed. So I go to the ticket lady and I said, if you were speaking at a church in Colorado Springs tomorrow, what would you do? Would you stay on this flight or would you switch again and go on to the flight to Austin? She said, I would go to Austin. She's like, there's a 5 a.m. flight out of Austin to Denver that would get you there at 6 a.m. and you can still drive to Colorado Springs tomorrow morning if you have to. Book it. So we leave Indianapolis at 11.30, or yeah, 11.30 last night. 
We fly to Austin, Texas. We immediately come here. We land around 1.45 in the morning here. But my bag is on the other flight. And, and so uh, we waited at the airport till about 2.30. We got to our hotel around 3.30 this morning. And so um, I told First Service this. Typically, my goal is to keep you awake during a message. But my goal today is to keep me awake during this message. And so I'm grateful to be here and I'm really excited that Trish does not have anything over me in this whole fiasco, right? I don't really even care about being here. I'm just glad this isn't a marriage story we're telling, you know, five years from now. Uh, but I'm grateful to be here. I love PD. I love Peak City. Uh, last time I was here was two years ago for my son's wedding. And you guys had a, you know, nobody was meeting in person at that time. Uh, but your building was over next to the U-Haul dealership or whatever. And so to drive in here today and see what God is doing, I'm just honored to be here uh, with you guys today. A little bit more about us. Uh, you may have seen this picture before on Mother's Day. This is our family. Uh, we have three biological kids, and then five years ago, we adopted Jalen and Janiah. And you may recognize, wow, those look like Colorado mountains. That's like two miles that way, all right? And uh, our, our son and daughter-in-law got married here in Colorado Springs. She's from Colorado Springs. And so it's great to be back, and uh, I'm honored to be here with you guys uh, today. And all week long, the staff, every person on staff that I talked to, all they reminded me of was how good Trish was. She's amazing. She's awesome. She's unbelievable. You know, she's awesome. And then one, I think Taylor said on the phone on like Thursday, hopefully you can just be half as good as she is. And so that's my goal. The bar is that low. I'm just hoping to be half as good as Trish is. And, uh, and that's not even going to happen today. So don't get your hopes up. Well, one of the big arguments online, if you want to get an argument, just go on Facebook. And one of the big arguments online these days is who is the goat? Who is the greatest of all time? And right now, there's a large portion of people that believe that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> you know, this is a place where everyone can belong, and even people who need Jesus can belong. And, and so um, I have a high affinity for maybe a quarterback that won you a Super Bowl and a quarterback that won me a Super Bowl named Peyton Manning, most cerebral quarterback of all time. And so... Now, I thought what I thought would be fun is, I thought it would be fun to debate which is greater. So we have some categories here that I want to share with you. Which is greater, coffee or tea? Who are my coffee people? That's what I'm talking about. 11 o'clock, oh, people are holding up cups. Yeah, you don't see Starbucks open up tea shops, do you? No. Every other corner is a coffee shop, right? I don't even think they serve tea in the lobby of this church. That's how much of a church this is, all right? How about this one? Late nights, early mornings. This is like a no-brainer for the 11 o'clock. Who am I late night people? Yeah, yeah. There was like four people in first service that were like, yeah, I'm a late night person. And they hated their life at 9 a.m. this morning. Early morning people, anybody here? The married to a late night person? Yeah, yeah. I don't even know what I am today because my late night turned into an early morning, all right? I'm kind of, I'm feeling a little identity crisis. All right, how about this one? Jordan versus LeBron. Why is this even on there? It's not even a debate, all right? If you're over 40, you know that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. It's not even a debate. If you're under 40, just go watch The Last Dance and educate yourself, all right? That's, that's all I got to say. How about this? Dogs versus cats. Exactly, dogs. This isn't, even, this isn't even debatable, all right? I tell Trish all the time, if kittens grew up into dogs, we'd have the Garden of Eden. Our right? perfect world would be back if kittens are cute. And they just need to grow up into dogs. Cats, not so much. Now, if you are a cat person and you think cats are greater and you're offended by what I'm saying right now, you can email me. It's Petey at PeakCityCo.com, all right? Now, 
How about this one? Success and failure. We think that success is greater than failure. And for some of us, this belief has dominated our entire life. Maybe it was something that you were told as a kid. Maybe it was something that you felt when you got cut from a team or didn't make a certain grade in school. But this belief system that success is greater than failure, it has affected the school that you went to, the major that you had, the area of study, the courses that you took. For some of you, it affected the person that, the people that you dated, the person that you married, the income that you have or you aspire to have, the house that you live in or that you want to live in someday, the school that you want your kids to go to, the, the image that you portray, the, the jobs that you have said yes to, the promotions that you've sought out, the ladder that you've climbed, the, the people that you have walked on to get to the place that you are right now, the network that you've built, the relationships that you forge, the dreams that you chase. Like for some of us, this equation dominates our life. And the truth is, we are failure averse. We do not like failure. And I think even more than that, for many of us, it's not even failure that we despise or that we fear. It's people perceiving us as a failure. We fear failure. And I have a confession to make. I am really good at failure. I'm like a pro. It's like a skill that I've honed over time. Trish and I last week just celebrated 27 years of marriage. And uh, thank you, thank you. Got married when we were 12. That's not true. We are just really that old. And, uh, and, and so when we first got together, um, we weren't really together. I, I was in love with me. I wanted her to be in love with me. And she did not really like me very much. And so uh, we were at Christian, Co- uh, Christian College in Central Illinois. I was a junior. She was a freshman. And I just became enamored with this spunky girl from Chicago, Illinois. I just thought she was amazing. And I kept asking her out over and over and over again. And she just kept turning me down. And I just could not take no for answer. And my friends started making fun of me. They, I started being the butt of all their jokes. In fact, one of the guys on the basketball team, he made a bet with me that I could not get her to go out with me by the end of the semester. And where do Christians learn to gossip? Christian college. This is before Twitter. This is before cell phones even existed, people. All right, this is 1993. And I said, I'll take that bet. Well, she found out about the bet before texting. And I lost the bet. And so first week of second semester, lo and behold, Trisha broke up with her boyfriend over Christmas break. We start dating. Now, what some would perceive as failure in 1993 I now look at as delayed success, 27 years of success. But I I am a good failure. My first job in high school, uh, after I got my license, was at Target. And I I had this aspiration of being a a cashier at Target. And so I applied for the job. I get the job. Now, as a cashier, you have to kind of work some people skills, right? You have to be able to make small talk, but not enough to to slow down the line. You still want to check people out. Back when you actually had cashiers at Target, before everything was self-checkout, I'm like, why am I paying people here, right? Why are the prices so high? I have to check myself out. But anyway, um, I'm checking these people out, right? And I feel like I'm crushing it. Until one night, this lady comes through my line. And I said to her a phrase and a sentence that really defined my career at Target. I said, when's your baby due? (laughs) Now, some of you see where this is going. Now, you might be saying, Justin, as a 16-year-old kid, 
Was she buying baby wipes? Back when you could buy formula in stores, was she buying formula? Was she buying a high chair? Something, a porta crib. Just give me any indication, pampers, something, even for a baby shower. No, no physical, well, there's physical evidence, but no, nothing, no, no material evidence of her being pregnant. And she said, I'm not pregnant. And I just said, I'm not employed. And I turned my light off and never went back. <laughs> a year later, I'm waiting tables at a place called Noble Romans because my career at Target did not work out. And, uh, and I don't know if you guys have Noble Romans. It's a pizza place in Indiana. And so I'm waiting tables. And my first night out of training, I spill two pitchers of Diet Coke on four state cops. I just love failure. I'm really, really good at it. And so people often say, Justin, did you feel God's presence and God's call into ministry? Did God speak to you audibly in a dream to be a pastor? No, I couldn't make it at Target or Noble Romans. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try ministry and see how that goes. See, God doesn't put the emphasis on success and failure like we do. And over and over again in Scripture, we see this equation. Faithful is greater than successful. Faithful is greater than successful. See, God cares more about your faith than he does your success. God cares that more that you would be faithful to him than you would be successful in this world. And we can be successful at things that don't matter and fail at things that matter most. And most of the time, I don't know how your faith works, but most of the time in my faith, it, it grows through seasons of failure. Think about your relationship with God. Have you grown the closest and most intimate in your relationship with God through seasons of great winning? Where you're crushing all your goals and life is going amazing? Or through disappointment, heartache, hurt, betrayal, questioning, uncertainty? Right? So often our faith, God draws us to himself, not through success, but through failure. He uses failure to prepare, prepare our faith for its greatest growth. And so today I want to look at a passage of scripture that um, is going to be pretty familiar to you. If you've spent any time in church, it's a pretty popular passage of scripture. But I love this passage of scripture because there's moments of great faith, there's moments of great success, all triumphed and trumped by this moment of epic failure, all wrapped up into one scene in the Bible. Now, before we read it, I want to give you some context for what we're going to look at in Matthew uh, chapter 14. Jesus' ministry has taken off, and it's, his popularity has grown, and he literally has people following him all over the place. There's this entourage that just goes with him everywhere he goes. His cousin, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded. He's just been executed for telling about the Messiah. And Jesus, this, this impacts Jesus deeply. And Jesus comes to his disciples and he basically says, I'm peopled out. I need a break. I want to go mourn the loss of my cousin. Let's go to the other side of the lake away from people. Let's retreat. And so before I find your iPhone, these people just start tracking Jesus. Like they get in the boat and they start going across the lake. And this massive group of people just tracks his movements. And so by the time Jesus gets to his destination, there's a huge crowd waiting. Like over 5,000 people are standing there waiting for Jesus to arrive. And the Bible says that Jesus has compassion on them. Even in the midst of his deep hurt, he has compassion on them, and he begins to teach them. 
and he just starts going long, right? Like, it's, it's just a long message. Disciples start looking at their watch like, hey, this wasn't in the outline. Hey, you're going over here a little bit. And they go to Jesus, they interrupt him and say, hey, good message, but we got a problem. All of these people came here, and we have nothing to feed them. It was a Jewish custom that if you kept people in, late in the day, you would, as, a, as a host, you would provide food for them. And so Jesus says, you know what? Why don't you guys go peruse the crowd, go survey the crowd, and I want you to bring me back all that you can collect, all the food that maybe people have packed. Bring it back to me, and let's see what we got. As those of you that know the story, you know that they, came, they went and surveyed the crowd. They bring back two fish, five loaves of bread. Fail, right? Like, that's the worst potluck dinner ever, right? Like, like you can't get the taste of fish out of your mouth, and the bread's going to be all heavy, right? You need some mac and cheese or some coleslaw or some watermelon, something you got to have in there for a great potluck dinner. And so I was like, we got two fish, we got five loaves of bread. And Jesus says, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bless it, and then I want you to start passing it out. <laughs> the disciples are looking at me, what? what? I'm going to bless it, you start passing it out. And as they give the food, more food is supplied. As they pass it out, more food is given. To the point where there are 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now, it is no coincidence that there are 12 disciples and 12 baskets. Jesus is making a point here. He wants the disciples to see something very specifically. And that's where we pick up the story. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. You think? It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. <clears throat> come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, here's what I want you to see. The feeding of the 5,000, it was not for the 5,000. They were the beneficiaries of the miracle. But the feeding of the 5,000 was for the disciples. He tells them to gather food. They dispense the food. They have 12 basket full, baskets full of leftovers. And then it says immediately. So often in Scripture, we don't know how much time passes between miracles, how much time passes between teachings. Matthew is very specific here. Immediately they get in the boat. Like Jesus is connecting these two events intricately together. They are almost one event, and it's all for the disciples' benefit. And here's what I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, that a religious experience does not equate to a transformed heart. A religious experience doesn't always equate to a transformed heart. Think about this for a second. All 12 disciples saw bread multiplied. All 12 disciples saw fish multiplied. All 12 disciples collected leftovers. Only one allowed the feeding of the 5,000 to connect to his heart. Only one allowed the power that he saw dispensed as he gave out bread and fish. 
apply to what he thought Jesus could do in him. Only one counted on Jesus to do the miraculous in their own life. Only one got out of the boat. And maybe that's where you are today. You've seen God do a lot of stuff, but it's been mostly in other people's life. And you come to church, and you sing the songs, and you raise your hands, and you're in a small group, and you even serve in Peak City Kids, because that's extra credit in heaven. (laughs) But you don't feel any different. You're not changing. The temper that you've struggled with your entire adult life, you still struggle with. The, The words that you say when you get angry, you still say them. The images that you look at online, you still look at them. The problems that you have in your marriage, they're still the same old problems. Like, like, like you've seen God do so much, and you have observed God, but it's not equating to transformation. You have a ton of information. In fact, you don't need any more information about God. You know all that you need to know to live the life that he has asked you to live. You're just not changing. You're not transforming. And the disciples leave this incredible religious experience, and they're in awe of Jesus' power, and they're in awe of the miracle, and they're amazed by Jesus, and he is the man. And then they hit the waves, and they just row in place for hours. They're stuck. Half of the disciples are professional fishermen, and they have no answer for what's going on. They're just hitting the waves over and over again. Theologians estimate that somewhere between 6 and 9 p.m. they would have gotten in the boat. And now it's 4 a.m. and they're still in the same place. See, Jesus wanted to teach them a principle that I think is relevant to your life and my life today. That faith in God isn't produced by observation. It's forged through participation. You see, God will allow the wind and the waves of life to hit you and come against you. Not to punish you, but to prepare you to allow you to see that he doesn't just want you to observe miracles in other people's life. He doesn't want you just to, uh, to hear stories of life transformation in other people. He wants you to experience the power and the presence of God that can transform your life. But oftentimes, it's not until we've exhausted ourselves. We've come to the end of ourselves. And we have no hope. And we've hit rock bottom. That we're actually willing to trust God to walk on water because we're drowning. So I want to look at two ways that that Peter fails in this passage, and I think all of us can relate to one of these two ways. And the first way that you can fail in life and the first way you can fail in your faith is you can fail by staying in the boat. You can fail by staying in the boat. See, getting out of the boat, it will cost you something. There is a risk of failure and embarrassment when you choose to step out of the boat, when you choose to trust God in new ways. And because we think that success is greater than failure, and because many of us fear not just failure, but the perception of being a failure, we stay in the boat. We've built our life around being comfortable, not being different. It's easy to calculate the cost of taking a risk, but what many of us fail to calculate is the cost of staying safe. Like, you can stay in the boat at work. You can stay in the boat at your high school. You can stay in the boat in your marriage. You can stay in the boat financially. You can stay in the boat, and you can be comfortable, but you won't be any different. You're not going to change. Transformation takes place 
on the water. See, staying safe, staying in the boat keeps us safe, but what we don't realize is that staying in, the, staying in the boat also keeps us the same. And here's what happens. The disciples do this calculation as Peter is talking to Jesus, and they think the external circumstances that they're experiencing is greater than Jesus' ability to help them walk on water. Right? They, they just get freaked out. And if you struggle with building your life around comfort, if you think that the American dream is actually to have a comfortable, safe life, then you may say to yourself two words that I often say to myself. What if? Like there are two words that are going to dominate your life if you choose a life of staying in the boat. And those two words are what if. What, what if I start trusting God in my finances and I start giving back to God and I start being a generous person and then inflation happens and then gas prices happen and then mortgage interest rates go up and then house prices go up? What if I start giving my time and resources and, and, and money back to God and then I struggle financially? What, what if? What if I actually start being the person Monday through Friday at school that I say that I am on Sunday and I alienate all my friends at school? Like, like, what if I'm actually obedient to God and I actually profess Jesus at school and then I, it costs me friendships? What if I actually step out in faith and I actually invite somebody in my office to Peak City on Sunday and I actually issue an invitation and they turn me down? How's that going to change our relationship? What if? What if I actually give my dating life to God and then I end up alone the rest of my life? What, what if I actually... Admit that we need marriage counseling and, we start, and I start going to marriage counseling and I start investing in my marriage, but my spouse doesn't reciprocate. What if I choose to forgive and they don't change? What if I choose to say I'm sorry and they don't forgive? See, what if can paralyze you? It can cause you to doubt yourself and your ability to do what God has called you to do. So let me ask you, what area of your life have you built around comfort and not around transformation? Your finances, your career, your marriage, your relationship with God? We think that fearing failure is actually gonna help us avoid failure. What fearing failure does, it robs us of being faithful. Fear of failure robs us of being faithful. This is a crossroads that Trish and I came to in 2015. We were living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. I was on staff at a really large church, fastest, one of the fastest growing churches in the country. And I was a teaching pastor. And not only that, but we had just uh, written Beyond Ordinary. And we were being asked to speak at some of the largest churches in the country. We were going and doing marriage conferences all over the country. We were speaking at leadership conferences and trying to help pastors have better marriages. And it was just this time of unbelievable blessing. But we felt like God was calling us to step out of the boat. And so we talked with our kids. We said, hey, we feel like God is calling us to move back to Indianapolis to start a church for people who don't go to church. And they were not exactly thrilled because they loved Nashville. We felt like, man, we need to start Hope City Church and help people find hope and follow Jesus. And so part of that process was meeting with some really trusted friends and people who loved us dearly and would speak the truth to us. And so we got together for dinner with about four or six of our friends and started talking about Hope City and how we're going to move to Indianapolis and start this church and 
I'll never forget one of Trisha's really dear friends who is very, very wise and discerning. She started crying. And she said, I think this is a horrible idea. She goes, do you not see God's blessing on your life? Do you know that people move to Nashville, Tennessee to do what you're doing? And you're going to move and start all over? What if it's not successful? And at that point, it was more important to be faithful than it was to be successful. And maybe that's the question you're wrestling with. Maybe you're pursuing success at the cost of faithfulness. All the disciples see Jesus walking on the water. Now, I want to repeat that. All of the disciples see Jesus. I don't know if you can say this here. Freaking walking on water, all right? Like, take that in for a second. I think we just read over that. Yeah, Jesus is walking on water. Okay, past the, you know, salt. Like, it's just like, no, Jesus is walking on water. And Peter does not ask for a guarantee. He just asks for a chance. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, if it's you, tell me I won't sink. He said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Peter doesn't ask for a promise. He just asks for an opportunity. And 12 disciples have the chance to not just observe a miracle, but to be a part of a miracle, to experience it. And only one gets out of the boat. And you know what happens? He walks on water. Huge win. Unbelievable. Legendary status, right? That's why we're talking about it today. It's why it's included in Scripture. And almost immediately, he fails. That's what I love about Peter. Great success, boom, falls on his face. Literally sinks. Verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. See, you can fail by staying in the boat, and you can also fail gloriously and magnificently on the waves. You can fail and sink on the waves. It's interesting that what Peter, what it says causes Peter to sink. It says he saw the wind. It doesn't say he saw the waves. It doesn't say he saw a storm. It says he saw the wind. Have you ever seen the wind? No. But he allowed something that wasn't visible to cause him to take his eyes off of Jesus. And I think you and I do that all the time. We have this unbelievable experience with God, and we know that God is prompting us. We know the Holy Spirit is speaking us to step out in faith in a certain area of our life, and we do. And then anxiety hits, or fear hits, or worry hits, or guilt hits, or regret, or public opinion hits, and we take our eyes off of Christ. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. You're sinking. Maybe for some of you, you're, you're sinking in your marriage. And you trusted God for big things in your marriage. And year after year has gone by, and now you're just treading water. Maybe for some of you, you're, you're sinking financially. You trusted God for big things, and now you're more in debt, and you're more discouraged than you ever have been financially. For some of you, you're, you're sinking in your dating life. You, you keep talking about the person that you want to date, and yet you keep attracting and going out with the same dysfunctional person over and over and over again. And the most common denominator is you. And you feel like you're sinking. Maybe for some of you, you're sinking in your faith. Like today, it took a lot of courage for you to walk through those doors today because you're giving God and the church one more chance. The church hurt you. Christians were mean to you. You gave up on God when your parents got divorced or your dad left. And you feel like you're just taking on water spiritually. And today is a step out of the boat. It's like your toe in the water. 
but you still feel like you're sinking spiritually. Have you ever stepped out of the boat expecting big things and experiencing short-term success only to fail in the end? How you and I respond to failure may be the one, one of the most important things about us. 2015, we moved to Indianapolis to start Hope City. In September of 2016, we launched public services, and we had almost 300 people our first week. And that kind of kicked off this up-and-to-the-right trajectory. It wasn't as fast and as uh, intense as social media would have liked, but we continued to grow. We saw people come to Christ. We saw people that were you know, far from God or far from the church come back to church and come back to Christ. And people got in a small group. And we met at a banquet hall for our first year. And then we moved into a strip mall. Not nearly as nice as this, I might say. But we moved into this strip mall. And, and we grew in that season. And we were there for a couple of years. And, and then we found an old church with a small congregation. And we asked them, hey, could you lease us your auditorium, your kids space, and your lobby? And would you move into the gym? And there was about 20 people there at their, at their church. And we were running, we had 600 at, at Christmas uh, by this time. And so we were going to bring life back to this church. It was going to be amazing. And we had this vision that eventually we were going to take over and have them come and be a part of Hope City. It was going to be a, an unbelievable passing of the baton. And we we're going to get this facility. And so we moved the week between Christmas and New Year's 2019. We have record attendance January and February. We send out a mailer to 30,000 people announcing the grand opening, March 15th, 2022. You know what that was, don't you? The grand closing of every church in America. We had a little thing in Indiana, I don't know if you had it here, called COVID-19. And we shut down, just like every church shut down. And I think every pastor in America thought, oh, it's going to be fine, it's going to be good. We'll just pivot and go online. And that's what we did. And so we made a decision in October of 2020 to reopen our building, and that made half the people mad. And then we made a decision to require masks if the building's going to be open, and that made the other half of the people mad. And so we were left with about 50 people who either didn't vote or were, you know, bipartisan. Uh, all the Democrats left because they were mad that we opened the building. All the Republicans left because they had to wear a mask, and we were just left with like 50 people who didn't care. All right, it was amazing. But it was a far cry from 600 people at Christmas. But every church was struggling at that time. Oh, we'll get, it'll get a better, 2021 will be better. And we had another variant, another variant. And then school finally started going back into session or in person. But we never got back over 100 people. And in December of 2021, the church that we were renting informed us that they had subleased their building and our auditorium to another organization and that we had about three months to find someplace else to meet. And we looked. And we looked, and we looked, and we didn't find anything, and we had nowhere to go. And April 24th, 2022, was the last Sunday of Hope City Church. This is actually the second time I've spoken publicly since April 24th. You talk about failure. You talk about disappointment. You talk about the amount of people that had invested trust and resources, my kids, my wife. It's one of the reasons I love my wife so much. She came and spoke here two weeks after our church closed. Never mentioned it. She just poured out her heart. So she is. How do you respond to failure when the world 
falls apart around you. Peter does two things that allow him to fail forward. I want to close with these. First, he admitted that he needed help. Verse 30, he says, Lord, save me. And the Bible says, there's this word again, immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? I want you to see this. Jesus catches him physically, and then he challenges him spiritually. Immediately, he catches him, and he says, why did you doubt me? And that's what Jesus does. If you're sinking today in your life, if you're sinking today spiritually, Jesus has no greater desire than to catch you, say, I'm here for you. I can save you. But he's going to challenge you. Follow me. Surrender to me. Take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. There's a, there's, a, there's a catching and a saving, and there's a challenge. And that's what God does, right? God rescues us so he can restore us. He saves us so he can grow us. And I think that Jesus would rather pull sinking people out of water than try to inspire comfortable people to get in the water. See, life change happens on the waves. Faith is growed on the water. So if you're sinking today, if you're failing, maybe that's the first step you need to take during this last worship song is just admit, Jesus, I don't have any answers. I've taken my eyes off of you in my marriage. I've taken my eyes off of you in my finances. I've taken my eyes off of you in my career. I've taken my eyes off of you at my school. And he is there immediately. Second, he recognized that his failure wasn't final. This is not going to be the last time Peter fails in a massive fashion. Jesus and Peter later are in this conversation, and Jesus is talking about his crucifixion. The disciples just can't compute it. And just Peter's like, Shh, no, no, you're not going to be crucified. In fact, I, I'm, not even, I, I'm going to die for you before I let anything happen to you, Jesus. I'll lay down my life for you. They'll kill me before they'll kill you. That's what I love about Peter. He writes checks that his bank account can't cash. Right? Well, you know the story. He denied Jesus three times. He knows what it means to fail. But he also knows what it means to walk on water. See, your failure can't define you if you allow it to prepare you. The, the failure that you've experienced in your life, the, the failed marriage that you have, it can't define you if you allow it to prepare you for what God has for you. Maybe God is calling you to help other couples not experience that. Maybe you filed bankruptcy and you're really ashamed about it. Well, what if God wants to leverage that bankruptcy to help other couples not go into debt? Right? The, 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 the things that you're most ashamed of, God wants to leverage them for your good, but ultimately for his glory. See, in our world, success is greater than failure, and we want to do everything we can to make sure that we're successful. But in God's economy, failure is greater than not trying. After the crucifixion, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Disciples are kind of left in charge to launch this movement that we're a part of today. And there's this interesting encounter that Peter and John have in the book of Acts. They're walking, and they see this guy. He's, he's paralyzed, and he starts asking them for money. Peter's like, I don't have any money, but here's one thing I do have. He says this in Acts chapter 3. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Eleven disciples 
watched Peter walk on water. Eleven disciples watched him sink. But the point is, eleven watched. Peter did. Peter knew the power of Jesus to enable him to walk on water. And in this passage of Scripture, he knows that that power is available to this guy who can't walk. And so he says, I'm going to give you what I've been given. Walk. Now, I don't know this for certain because we don't know all the things that the Bible leaves out. But one thing I do know is that it is not included in the Scriptures that any other disciple of Jesus other than Peter performs a miracle. I think there's a reason for that. Because Peter knew miraculous power. He saw Jesus show up personally in miraculous ways. And he said, you know what? I'm going to trust him for big things. Am I going to fall on my face? Yes. But I'm going to fall on my face to the glory of God. So don't fail by staying in the boat. If you're going to fail, fail in the waves. One of the reasons why it was important for Trish to come out here with me this weekend is on Friday, like two days ago, we just signed a two-book contract with David C. Cook to write two books for them. And we're going to meet with our publishing team all morning tomorrow. I'm not telling you a story that's years old. I'm telling you a story that's hours old. That God can take your biggest failure and he can turn it into your greatest calling. It's what he does. I've seen it in my life. We've seen it in Peter's life. Stop looking for it in others and start expecting it for yourself. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that even when we sink, you're there to catch us. And there's no doubt that all of us are risk-adverse because we don't want to be perceived as failures, but maybe the greatest, most abundant life that you have for us is on the other side of our failures because it's in those moments that we learn to trust you in the deepest ways. And so God, would you speak to our hearts in the, of an area that you want to move. Maybe for some people here, it's in their finances. Maybe for some people, it's in their marriage. Maybe for some, it's finally admitting an addiction. Knowing that you love us right where we are, but you refuse to leave us there. You want us to experience transformation on the waves. God, for the person that feels like a complete failure, They're here today, and guilt and regret are the theme of their life. Would you remind them that failure will not define them if they will allow it to repair them? Failure only defines those who don't try again. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.